Today, uh, the message, I want to start off with a quote by this man. He's a pastor of a church in New York City, uh, a church called Christian Cultural Center. This pastor, his name is called A.R. Bernard. He says this interesting and intriguing quote, very short quote. When I heard it, I had to sit there and think about it for a long time. And this quote says this. He says, quote, the greatest threat to our freedom is our freedom, end quote, right? i say that again. The greatest threat to our freedom is our freedom. Now think about that. I was thinking about this, and it's intriguing. I thought to myself, okay, what then is true freedom? What then is true freedom? Actually, I mentioned this because in a simplistic sense, all of Galatians, which we're studying, which we're going through in this past couple of weeks, all of Galatians, if I were to choose one theme it revolves around, it's actually freedom. Christian freedom. But how have you and I learned freedom? Growing up in different cultures all around the world, I grew up in America, right? The land of the free, they say. America, the United States of America, and the thing that represents freedom in America is the Declaration of Independence. Independence. Independence is true freedom, says the great America. Free to make our own choices, freedom of thought, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, etc. So I grew up in America thinking, all right, this is what freedom is. We have the right to do whatever the heck we want, right? Freedom. Again, there's laws. Okay, there's laws. But I thought about this quote, the greatest threat to our freedom is our freedom. And I thought about what do we do with our freedom? What do we do with our freedom? And what have we done with our freedom? And I want to share this uh, interesting tradition that you find in ancient Near East culture in the Old Testament times. Um, There is this profound tradition that slaves, when they worked six years a slave, according to the law, on the seventh year, they were officially let go and they were free. After six years of service, their master said, you are free to go. You are a free man. And it's interesting because in these times, it's really hard for us to understand, but in these times... A lot of times what would happen is these free men, women, they would go on their seventh year and interesting, they would come back to their master and say, with my freedom, I voluntarily want to continue to remain with you as my master. So as a symbol of that contract of what they do with their freedom, they would get their ear pierced. And that piercing of the ear Right? It symbolized, yes, I voluntarily submit my life with the freedom that I have to continue to live with you. And this tradition, I, thought it, I, thought it's, I think it's beautiful because why would he do this? Why would they do this? It's because they trust and they love and they depend on the care of the master. You know, they've become family over the years. You see, we got to recognize what this servant did with his freedom. Right? Next week, 
Pastor Moa, she's going to preach more in depth on what freedom is, because that's chapter 5, it talks a lot about freedom. But today, we're going to continue our series, our 13-part series of Galatians. I think we're on part 8 or something now. 9. Wow. We're almost done. Sad, right? 13 parts. You know, you know John Piper, a long time ago, he preached, a, uh, he preached like, I think, four or five years just on Romans, right? It was like a... I don't know, 80-something part series on, like, Romans or something like that. That's crazy. It's just 13, all right? That's crazy. Today, we're on chapter 4, as Josh read. Um, Pastor myung she preached two messages titled The Gospel of Sonship for the past couple weeks, covering the beginning parts of chapter 4. I'm going to close it out today. Keep in mind that this motif, this theme of freedom in Galatians, keep that in mind, because in all of chapter 4, Paul is continuing on with this theme of what it means to be a son and what it means to be a slave. That's what we're going to cover today. All right, so oh, talk to your neighbor for two minutes, all right? This is my clicker. Sorry. <laughs> so the title of my service today is No Longer Slaves. All right, here we go. If you're paying attention to the passage that was read today, if you're like me, when I first read it for the first time and the second time and the third time, I didn't know what it was talking about. It's pretty confusing, actually. When you read it, it's like, what is Paul talking about here? He's using so much symbolism and analogies and allegories and da-da-da-da-da. So we're going to go through that today. And in order to understand this passage, what we need to understand first in context is the, um, the story of Abraham and his two sons. Right? So before we get into the passage, let me explain to us what this is about. In this passage, Paul refers uh, to something that happened in Genesis chapter 12 and 15. All right? Abraham, Father Abraham, had many sons. Da, 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 da. I forget the, the, the rest of the lyrics if you grew up in church, right? Now, Abraham, he's known as the father of our faith. Okay, the father of our faith. And him, he used to actually, before God encountered him and God met him, he used to live in this place called Ur, right? You are Ur. And he used to worship, he used to worship idols. He was not always a worshiper of Yahweh until Yahweh encountered him. And then when God met him, he commanded Abraham to leave his home. And Abraham simply, simply obeyed the voice of the Lord, right? And when God met Abraham, he spoke to him a specific promise, right? In school, we learn that as the Abrahamic covenant, all right? The Abrahamic covenant. Simply put, God's promise, all right? God's promise, and he says this. At 75 years old, he says this to Abraham. He says, in Genesis 12, 2 to 3, I will make of you a great nation, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing, right? This is where we get the idea of blessed to be a blessing, right? God promises him, I'm going to make of you, Abraham, 75 years old grandpa, a great nation out of you, all right? He's telling him, you're going to have a full quiver. And your, your quivers will have quivers, will have quivers. Like, there's going to be a lot of arrows shot out from you. I'm going to make your name great. And then he says, to your offspring. Everyone say offspring. 
I will give this land. And third, he says, look toward the heavens and number the stars. If you're able to number them, so shall your offspring be. So he, guess what? He believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. So at that moment, when God said these things at the age of 75, I don't know anybody else that, have, that can have kids at age 75, right? Abraham simply believed. He had faith. And that was counted to him as righteousness. All right? As in Abraham, he did not do anything. As in no law ever came out in Abraham's day. The Mosaic law did not come. So there was nothing to obey. But Abraham, he believed in God, not by works, because there was no works to obey. But by faith, through obeying what God has promised. Simply by believing. That's the foundation of our faith. Even in the Old Testament, we see salvation by grace. Right? So, he says all these things, and that's crazy faith. That's crazy faith. Because if I was Abraham, and I was 75 years old, immediately, I would fall into unbelief. I'd be like, what are you... I don't know what I had last night, but I don't, th- I don't know what this voice is telling me that I'm going to have, you know, God's going to make of me of many nations. You know, he promises these things. I'm like, dude, God, as one pastor puts it, he would say to God, God, you got to put your super on my natural, right? And you got to do, <laughs> never mind, all right? <laughs> you got to do something supernatural, God. Years later, nothing happens. And talk about holding on to your promises, right? We sing that song, all your promises are yes and amen. Man, you play that song in front of Sarah and she will slap you. <laughs> she will slap you. After decades of waiting, ain't nothing going on. You know, talk about waiting, waiting for the Lord, waiting for the fruition of this promise. Incredible faith right here, right? Now, at 86 years old, Sarah, she, can't, she says, I can't take it anymore. Sarah, Abraham's wife, they get her servant. Her servant their servant's name is Hagar. All right, everyone say Hagar. All right, some, some people say Hagar, some people say Hagar, but I'm just going to Hagar, all right? He gets Hagar, and then they take matters into their own hands, and they decided to help God. And the way that they decided to help God, because they couldn't wait any longer is Sarah goes ahead to Abraham, her own husband, and says, hey, let's fulfill this promise ourselves in our own method and way. I want you to, you know, lay with her, and then we're going to fulfill this promise. And then they take matters into their own hands, and, you know, time out, right? I still think that that's still some measure of faith. You know what I'm saying? Even though it was not God's way, at that age, like, still... It's still some measure of faith, right? So he does so, and they have a child with Hagar, and that child's name is Ishmael. Ishmael, right? Later on, another decade passes. When Abraham is 100 years old, his faith begins to be tested and shaken, but God encounters him and reassures him of his promise. When he reassures him of his promise, he tells Sarah that it's going to happen. Let's keep believing, And then, I really like this. It's pretty small, but I'll read it for us. 
I really like uh, this passage. I think it's kind of funny. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why does Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is there anything too hard for me? At the appointed time, I will return to you. About this time, I will return to you. About this time next year, so a year from now, Sarah will have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. And then he says, God says, this isn't the Bible. God says, no, but you did laugh. <laughs> I just thought it was funny that it was in this language. You know what I mean? Sarah's like, I didn't laugh. No, you did laugh. <laughs> right? So, lo and behold, God fulfills his promise. Isaac is born out of Sarah's womb supernaturally. Right? And by the way, it's ironic because Isaac's name actually means laughter. Right? So God gets, God gets her. Right? God gets her back. On the side note, Poor Ishmael, right? Poor Ishmael. Can you imagine, step into his shoes. Can you imagine growing up, and he's a teen now. He's a teenager by the time Isaac is born. Can you imagine being in Ishmael's shoes and growing up knowing that you're not the promised one, actually? Actually, uh, you, were a, you were an attempt at something else that was a real thing. Can you imagine the neglect that Ishmael grew up with? I feel bad for the guy. And then finally when Isaac's born, you know what I'm saying? Celebrated, all these prophecies are uh, reminding him of who he is. And then Ishmael's like, what about me? You know, I I feel bad for the guy. Anyways, let's get back to it. So there you have it. The account of Abraham's children. And here we have Let's go back to Galatians. Here we have all these people called the Judaizers, to refresh our memory, who are coming to the members of the church and saying, hey, it's not just by faith, but you got to get circumcision. you got to obey the law to be saved, right? Judaizers, they probably, the, the reason why Paul is bringing up this story, you know why, is because the Judaizers, when they came through and talked to them, they used Abraham's story as an example, The Judaizers, they said this, hey, even the father of your faith, you claim to be the father, you know, Abraham's the father of your faith also, he got circumcision too. So you should get circumcision too, right? But what the people of Galatia, what the the Judaizers didn't realize is they got the sequence twisted. They got the sequence wrong. Because Abraham, if you read in Genesis, he didn't get circumcision in order you know, to be justified. He did it as an act of devotion unto the Lord. As in, he believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was already righteous there. And then later on, he got circumcised, right? And this is what the Judaizers got twisted. And this is why Paul's bringing up this account. Okay, now that we know the context, let's get to this. In the beginning, Paul says this, tell me, You who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? What Paul's saying to the church in Galatia is like, hey, you guys, you really want to be under the law? 
And when we say under the law, what we're talking about is relying on the law for the right standing with God. Simply put, relying and depending on the law for acceptance from God. Under the law. Paul says, do you really know what you're getting yourselves into? You know, you can do this for a while, but eventually you'll come to realize that it was all in vain. Do you know what you're getting yourselves into? And earlier in the chapter, Paul says this phrase called the elementary principles of the world. The elementary principles of the world. And what this basically means is being a slave to legalism. Works-based salvation. Elementary principles. Tim Keller, he says, the basic principle of the world today, even today, the basic principle of this world is that we need to save ourselves. We need to save ourselves. Right? And when I read this, I was reminded of the people of God, the Israelites, who were held captives as slaves under Egypt. Y'all saw the movie, Prince of Egypt, right? They were, they were slaves under the Egyptians, and then God set them free. But when God set them free, they went into the wilderness, and lo and behold, they start complaining, and they dare say certain things such as, I think it would have been better if we went back into that slavery. They started saying things like this. Oh, God, he set us free. And they worshiped God like crazy. And then just a little bit down the line, they said, okay, I think it should have been better that we were slaves again. Reverting back to old mindsets. But, you know, the purpose of the desert time that God brought them um, toward is I said this. I say this a lot. It's, you know, God, it's one thing for God to bring a people out of slavery. It's another thing for the God to bring the slavery out of them, right? Same goes for us. Same goes for us. It's one thing that God brings us, us out of the miry clay. It's one thing for God to deliver us out of slavery. But it's another thing, and it's this beautiful process called sanctification, where God brings the, the slavery out of us. Because just like these Galatians, as Pastor Milwaukee preached last week, they, in fact, they were sons. She talked about adoption. So God saved them. They were sons of God, but they were reverting back to slavery. Reverting back to the elementary principles of the world. And we look at the Galatians as like, man, how, how do you do that? Like, this salvation is so great. Why would you return back to that old way? But if we were to be honest and we examined our hearts, guess what? Our sinful nature, we're more prone to do that than we think. We're a lot more prone to revert back to the mindset and the lifestyle of a slave, actually. When God invites us to live a life as a son. Right? You see, the Galatians, by status they were sons. But they were deceived into living like slaves. Right. You see, when I think of salvation, the technical word here used in Galatians is justification. The fancy theological word, justification. Right? The word I like to use for better understanding is simply acceptance. Acceptance. Right? Acceptance. Our justification or acceptance is not only true positionally by status 
But it's also true relationally. And this is something that's very important for us to get here. Our salvation, our acceptance to God, we believe it. All of us, we do believe it by our status. We do believe that we are saved. But many of us, it takes our whole lifetime to start believing that to be true, that we are really accepted by God, not just that one moment when we gave our life to Him, but every single day that we are acceptable to God. That, that when God sees us, He still accepts us today, tomorrow. And that's the faith that we need, not to just believe it when we gave our life to the Lord, but to actually believe in this perpetual, continuous acceptance all the days of our lives through the thick and thin. I'll say it like this. There's a difference between acceptance into heaven and acceptance from God. Right? Think about that. There's a big difference between acceptance into heaven, citizenship, and acceptance by God. All right? You see, both are needed to bring security in our lives. You know, there's a lot of Christians, including myself, that struggle with this thing called insecurity. Insecurity. All of us wrestle with insecurity to some degree. Right? And I'm convinced, I'm convinced that these two things, not just acceptance into heaven, having heavenly citizenship, that too, but also acceptance by God the Father. I'm convinced that these two things, the more I believe it, the more insecurity begins to shut off. That's it. At the end of the day, those wrestling with insecurity, it's the fact that we wrestle with believing that God accepts us. That, you know, He accepted us before, but what about now? What about after I stumbled and fell? What about after I make this mistake? Does He still accept me the same way? Right? I want to give an analogy that's made up because I haven't lived it yet. I'm still single. And let's say there was this girl. Let's say there was this beautiful daughter of God. And, uh, and just, she just caught my attention, right? Let's just say. Let's just say. All right? And then I'm like, man, I really like her. I'm going to pursue her. But she don't like me, right? She don't like me. Um, well, duh, because we haven't gotten to know each other, right? <laughs> You're laughing too hard. <laughs> and so I decide one day, okay, I need to win her heart, right? I want her to, you know, receive me as her boyfriend, right? I want us to become a thing. So I go, I find out her favorite flowers, pink peonies, right, with lavender, with a little bit of uh, baby breath, right? I, I, make, <laughs> I make a bouquet. <laughs> Don't ask me how I know, all right? Don't ask me how I know, all right? And I give it to her, right? And then she dies. She's like, oh, thank you so much. Like, you're so sweet. You knew. How did you know, you know? Right? <laughs> and then eventually, 
Okay, this, this gesture of getting her flowers, right? Let's just say that's one gesture representing many gestures. Let's say eventually it works, right? We start getting to know each other, and then she, you know, she likes me too. And then let's just say, uh, you know, we got together and we got married, right? We got married, right? Now, let's just say five years down the road after we get married, right? Uh, I'm coming home from work after a long day of ministry, right? <laughs> I come there and she's home. I'm very tired. But all of a sudden, there's something in me, in my heart that says, oh, man, she's so special. I love her so much and da 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 right? Let's just say, okay, I'm going to stop by the flower shop and then I get her some flowers. I come home and say, babe. <laughs> all right, never mind. <laughs> All right. and, then, and then I give her these flowers, right? You know, and then she's blessed. Right? And then she's blessed. Now, this like silly analogy, this analogy that I don't even know will ever come to pass, right? This silly analogy, right? Why I'm sharing this is in the beginning, when I first gave her flowers, the motive of my heart is because I wanted her to accept me, right? I wanted to win her heart. So I got to achieve my way, right, for her to accept me. But later on, five years after I get married, wouldn't it be sad if I gave her those flowers with that same motive? You know? This time around, why am I getting her flowers? Simply because I love her. Because I already know that we're together. I already know we're in covenant. I already know she loves me. Right? That's why I want to get her flowers. Because, just because I love her. Right? Not necessarily because, you know, I want to, you know, I'm still insecure in the way that she feels about me. Right? You see, in this same way, when we're under the law, when we're operating in slavery, you know, it's like covenant is there. You're already in that relationship. But you're still living our Christian lives out of insecurity. We're still going to church, reading the Bible, and obeying the Lord, and doing all these things. Not necessarily because we love Him. Like, oh, I, you know, I want to do this with you. But, you know, sometimes in our hearts, to compensate. Maybe not for our status, but to compensate, oh, I need to win his affections for me once again. I need to win the Father's affections for me once again. So we do all these things. You see where I'm getting at? Right? It's very applicable to our lives. When we think salvation outside just status. When we start thinking about salvation in terms of our relational acceptance that relational dynamic with God, it changes a lot. There's so much to be applied here. Right? Let's move on. It says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, one by the slave woman, Hagar, and the other by the free woman, Sarah, Sarai. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, naturally, 
But his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise, supernaturally, right? Now, remember the story I told of Abraham. Abraham chose to rely on himself. That was his mistake, Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah chose to rely on themselves and have faith, not in God, but have faith in himself to gain what was promised, right? Instead of trusting God and doing things in God's terms, he opts to do things in his own terms, right? For us, our salvation and our acceptance is given to us on his terms and not ours. Hallelujah. That's the most precious news there is. Thank God that God is not just God, but that God is good. You know what I mean? Like, if God was just God and powerful, but he was not good, who knows what his terms could have been. But because God is God and that he is good, he is our father. The way that he does things, perfect and righteous, his terms are both for our good and his glory. Not only in our salvation, but in the way that he guides our lives. In the way that he leads us and shepherds us in our lives. Amen? Amen. So here he is, Ishmael, born according to the flesh, not in God's terms, but man's. And Isaac, born according to promise, supernatural ways. All right, let's move on. Now, this is the confusing part. This is where everybody's like, you know. These things are being taken figuratively or allegorically. The woman represents two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. I don't need to explain that, right? We move on, right? This is very confusing. And I'm going to try to break this down for us, all right? What Paul is using here is a language that the people understand there, but we don't really understand. But basically what Paul's doing here is just using, using a bunch of synonyms, explaining the same thing in just a different way. What he's saying is this, right? Remember, this is allegory. This is symbolic, right? He's saying this. Symbolically, it's this. Hagar equals, represents Mount Sinai. You know what happened on Mount Sinai is that God gave the Ten Commandments. God gave the law, right? Hagar represents Mount Sinai, which represents the Mosaic Covenant, which is the law. And it represents, depending on the law, for our salvation. And it represents here in the verse, it says, the present Jerusalem. Why the present Jerusalem? Because the present Jerusalem consisted of Jews that believed by, in, in works-based salvation. All right? And then this equals a covenant of works that we have to work our way into acceptance. And basically what it comes down to is legalism. You guys with me? So all of those terms in those verses, they all mean the same thing. But at the end of the day, Hagar slash Ishmael represents legalism. Which falls in line in the context of Galatians, right? So there it is, right? So... Um, I've heard it said that um, I want you to imagine a mountain, right? And in this mountain, there's God up top. The dwelling place of God, heaven is up top. 
And then someone once told me that in order to be with God, you got to go up the mountain to be in his presence. you got to work your way and hike that mountain to be up there with him. And then a mentor once told me, this is very profound. I was like, wow, this is cool. He said this. All other religions in the world and the ways of this world, right, comes down to this. God says, come up here and work your way up here to be with me. Right? And he said that Christianity is the only religion where God did the opposite. He came down the mountain to be with his people. By grace. Why? Because at the end of the day, nobody can climb that mountain. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Right? Who? So this is the beauty of the gospel. You know, all these different religions, right? And a side note, Ish, you know, Ishmael was born. Out of the line of Ishmael was born this guy named Muhammad, who's a central figure in the religion of Islam. And in Islam, what you believe is this. You got to do all these things, the five pillars of Islam. You got to obey all these things to gain acceptance. Gain acceptance from Allah, their God. And then maybe you'll get into heaven. That's the core of what they believe, Islam. But fill in the blank. This is what it is. Islam is just another mask. It's just another mask to what's under the mask, which is legalism. Another mask is any other religion there is. But guess what? There's a Christian mask as well, which is not really Christianity. Right? So this is, this is what it is. Now, verse 26 but the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. <laughs> but the Jerus- Paul says to them, but the Jerusalem that is above, in contrast to before, he said the present Jerusalem. Present Jerusalem being Jews, right? The Jerusalem that is above that is free, she is our mother. Jerusalem that is above actually represents the new Jerusalem. And the new Jerusalem represents not just Jews, But all people, Jews and Gentiles, that believe in God, that believe in Jesus and salvation by grace. This is what it means here. Right, so, Jerusalem that is above, it consists of all believers, like I said, who believe in justification by grace. Now, on a side note, I want to say this is not to de-emphasize the importance of the Jewish chosenness. Israel definitely and biblically has her place in God's end time salvation history. But we're not going to get into that today. But I just wanted to say that. All right. It's not, you know, was, was elevating, but it's not lowering the importance of Israel in God's story. But it's not elevating as well. All right. That's what I wanted to say. Don't get it twisted. All right. This new Jerusalem consists of Jews and Gentiles. All right. Now, this is what it means. Sarah, which was Abraham's real wife, Sarah equals, represents Jerusalem above, the Abrahamic covenant, God dependence, covenant of grace. Basically, all you need to know is this. Sarah equals promise. And Hagar equals what? Legalism. Yeah, you guys got it. Man, I'm turning this into a class today. All right. So everyone in the world is descended spiritually spiritually from one of these two women. You are either a slave to works, Hagar's line, or you are set free by God's grace, Sarah's line. We're talking spiritually here. All right? Now, I made this chart for us to understand. All right. Check it out. 
So basically, Paul is communicating this chart to the Galatians. Using all this analogy, he's saying this. Hagar slash Ishmael represents slavery, while Sarah and Isaac represent sonship. Right? Hagar Ishmael represents acceptance by works or acceptance by faith. Earthly Jerusalem or heavenly Jerusalem. Self-dependence or God-dependence. Born naturally, born supernaturally. Legalism or grace. This is what the passage is talking about. All right? You're welcome. All right? It took a long time to do that. You're welcome. All right? Verse 27. For it is written, be glad, barren woman. You who never bore a child, shout for joy and cry aloud, you who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than her who has a husband. Now, Paul, he was talking about Genesis. Now he's talking about Isaiah. He quotes Isaiah. And what he says is this. During this time, the people of God, right, the Israelites, during this time in Isaiah, they were actually held captive. They were actually held in slavery by the Babylonians. And actually, they had nothing going for them. It was game over. They had disobeyed God. They started depending on themselves. And then God allowed for them to be captured into slavery again by the Babylonians. Why? Why? Because God, he's a jealous God. He brings them to a place where they are utterly poor in spirit. He brings them to a place where they realize Man, when we do things our own way, on our terms, things don't end up going really well. And so God is teaching them this kingdom value, which we can learn from as well. It says, in our weakness, God's grace comes through. It's in our weakness. Jesus said to himself, blessed are the poor in spirit. That means bankruptcy in our own ability to depend on ourselves. That's the kingdom value right there, right? Now, I'm going to move on fast. Is, uh, oops. So, here it is. In verse 30, it says, What does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. It's pretty harsh, right? But as harsh as it is, that's as harsh as we should treat all the legalism and, and slavery in us. Paul is saying, in this church, in Galatia, in New Philly, in our own lives, be aggressive with casting out every single sign and action of legalism in every single one of us. Everything anti-gospel. Everything aligning with Hagar's line. Throw it out. Get it out of here. It's a cancer. Right? Get rid of all these things. Cast out self-reliance. False means of acceptance. Cast out all these things because why? You are not slaves. So there's three types of people here. The first is this. Slaves who live like slaves. Slaves who live like slaves. You know, they are like the full-on, all-the-way legalists. Who fully believe we need to work our way into acceptance, right? These are like the Judaizers saying, hey, we have to work our way. For salvation, okay? Slaves who live like slaves. And then there's a second type of people that says this. Sons who live like slaves. Sons who live like slaves. And these were the Galatians. Or Paul saying, hey, you are sons of God. You're adopted. But you're living like slaves. 
And I would say this category number two is where all of us here struggle with the most. We are sons by status. But it takes this process called sanctification for us to actually live like sons. Like I said earlier, it's one thing to take us out of slavery. Another thing to take the slavery out of us. And the third type of people is sons who live like sons. Sons who live like sons. And these are the born-again believers. True sonship, real sonship, has no legalism in it. Sonship is real. And real sonship is dependence and trust in God and God alone. Right? The issue is our heart's reliance and trust. Right? Are we self-reliant or are we God-reliant? So here's what it looks like to live out either or. I made this another chart, and this is where it gets very practical. And I want us to, I want to challenge us to examine our hearts. Examine our hearts. Don't think to ourselves, oh, that person struggles with that, right? Examine our hearts, all right? Is this. When we live in slavery versus when we live in sonship, it's this. When we live in legalism and as a slave, we are more prone to anxiety because there's so much unbelief in God's goodness. We, start, we stop believing that God is good in our lives. So we're more prone to anxiety. But in sonship, when we actually really believe in our hearts that we are the son of the, you know, the most high God, there is peace in letting go. There is peace in what? His promises. And in the Bible, there are so many promises of God that we are to cling on to. One of them being, though he who started a good work in you will bring it to completion. Hanging on to that promise is walking in sonship. Another thing is this. In the motivation that we do things, when we operate as a slave, we, we do things out of fear. Out of fear of not being a part a fear of rejection, right? A fear of not being good enough. But as a son, true sonship, all your motive is out of faith. And I want to tag along with that. All your motive is out of affection. It's out of love, right? So we need to check our hearts here. You know, when we live our lives as believers, many times when we do things for the Lord, check our hearts. Is there joy? Is there a motivation that's based on love? Like when I was giving that girl flowers, right? My wife, right? When I was giving my fake wife flowers, right? It's because of love, right? It's not because of fear. As in, if I don't do this for her, she's going to divorce me. Or she's not going to love me the same. You know what I'm saying, right? And the third is this. Hagar Ishmael represents self-righteousness. And in sonship, it rep- represents Christ's righteousness. Amen? You see, self-righteousness produces, like I preached a couple weeks ago, elitism. Why? Because if we succeed, quote-unquote, in our own efforts, what ends up happening is like, oh, I did this. I built this. I made myself this way. I made this success. And then you begin to look down on people, down on cultures, down on all these things, right? But, you see, when we walk in sonship, we realize that nothing about myself 
is righteous, is good. It's only the righteousness of Christ that covers me that is good. That's sonship right there. Next, insecure in acceptance. You see, when we walk as a slave, like I said earlier, we're constantly wrestling in our minds and our hearts. Does God love me the same still? Does he accept me the same today like he accepted me when I gave him my life? Does he accept me the same today when I'm wrestling with this sin? The same as when I gave my life for that two weeks during missions. Does he accept me the same? You see, when we walk as a slave, we're not secure in that. So we work our way to try to get there. But in sonship, we're secure in his acceptance. We're secure that his love is unconditional. We're secure in this gospel truth. And that liberates us. Amen? Next. Sensitive to criticism. You see, if you're walking in slavery, you are sensitive to criticism because no longer are the thoughts of God toward you matter to you anymore. But what matters to you all the more is the criticism and the thoughts of man. And this is a struggle we all have. How many of us have built ourselves up consciously and subconsciously in a way that's more shaped by culture and the fear of man and what people think about us than how God feels about us? Because when we're shaped by how God feels about us, we become teachable, we become humble, the fruit of the Spirit begins to abound in our hearts, we begin begin to be shaped in Christ-likeness, right? I'm going to be gone for another month, so I'm I'm just preaching long today, all right? I'm just getting my stuff in, all right? So at the end of the day, this side represents, not you guys, right? This side, like Hagar, Ishmael, represents the Pharisees. The Judaizers. And this Sarah Isaac side represents Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness. Amen? Now, you know, um, for the past two weeks, Pastor Myoha, she preached. If you haven't listened to the message, please find them on podcasts. Really good, right? She preached on the gospel of sonship, true sonship. And something that she emphasized, the word that I love to hear, is she kept saying Adoption. Everyone say adoption. No. Adoption as sons that cannot be earned. She said that we're not only forgiven and redeemed, but beyond that, we're adopted. Right? And when we're adopted, it's purely by grace. And it's not just a status thing. Because think about your own families. Think about your own families. And for some of us, this is real. We're going there. Some of us, we are sons or daughters by status. But some of us come from such a broken family where we constantly feel like we have to fight for their acceptance. You know? Straight up, that's not of the kingdom. But that's the condition of the world we live in. Right? You see, being adopted, like, can you imagine if you grew up in one culture? Like, I think of the show, This Is Us. Have you guys seen This Is Us? In the show, it talks about how, it shows how this man, right, this African-American man, he's adopted into a white family. Totally different cultures. And you see, can you imagine the insecurity of being adopted into a family that's not your own? There's tremendous amounts of insecurity because there's so many differences. Will they accept me for who I am? 
Or do I have to work my way into being part of the family? And sadly, even in churches, as a spiritual family, we may think like that. Do they really accept me as I am? Or do I have to look a certain way to feel belonging? Right? You see, our natural tendency is to live like a slave. It's our sin nature. And I'm ta- when I'm talking about slave, I'm talking about constantly living for approval and acceptance. But let me, let this truth sink in. And this is something that Holy Spirit has to do in each, every one of our hearts. It's not just, and it's not enough just to hear this from me. You have to wrestle with it with God yourself. Here's the truth. We are adopted sons of the Most High God. Our acceptance is sure and it's continual. His love and acceptance is faithful. When it comes to our salvation, we believe that we are accepted and saved by grace and not by works. Amen. But if we truly, 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 truly believe this at the core of our hearts, the acceptance, just that simple word, acceptance. Every human being is made for acceptance. We go everywhere trying to find it. Acceptance from the Most High God. Who am I that he is mindful of us? Acceptance of a God that we don't deserve to be in relationship with. This acceptance, when it really sinks in at the core of our hearts, our acceptance should radically change how we view ourselves. The more we understand acceptance by God in our hearts, the less, the more we will conquer insecurities. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of dealing with insecurity. Aren't you guys? Living our lives, fighting insecurity, and shaping ourselves to escape that insecurity, it's tiring. And all of us are tired from that. But I'm convinced that more and more, when we find security in His acceptance, no longer with the voice of man, the popularity of culture shape how we live, shape how we think. No longer will there, will there, you know, no longer will there be fear dictating how the decisions that we make. Acceptance, guys. As sons, we are to continue to live by faith and trust. What does it mean to live like a slave today, living for acceptance? What does it mean to live like a son today, living from acceptance? Right. Question I want to pose to you today as you go home and think about and maybe talk about with your friends this afternoon is this. Where do you base your acceptance? Where have you based your acceptance. The formation of who you are. What shaped that? And I wrestle with this a lot. Am I JP the original design? Or am I a JP that God made? Am I JP that God made? Or am I JP that JP made? Right? 
Yeah. Where, where do you base your acceptance? The world? What the world looks like? Family values? Ethnic values? Or kingdom values? And I'm going to close with this on acceptance. I want to close with, I promise, this is for real, all right? I want to close with two of my favorite quotes from, I don't know if you ever heard of him, Tim Keller. (laughs) We've been mentioning him a lot, right? He has a lot of good quotes. Everything he writes is a good quote. (laughs) But these two impacted my life so much that every time I read it, you know, it really aligns me back to being a son again. And it's this. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Every day. The same degree, the same intensity, the same tenacity of his love. It's constant every day. And lastly, to be loved, or I put there, accepted. To be accepted, but not known, is comforting, but superficial. But to be known and not loved or accepted is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved, accepted, is well, It's a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Amen? Let's pray. Then when we are so vigorous in our religious activities. God, we ask right now that your spirit of revelation would enlighten our hearts. We simply ask this, that your radical acceptance of us would transform our lives, God. Everyone that is fighting with layers of insecurity, God, deliver us and help us. Set us free daily to live like sons that you long for us to live. Thank you, Father. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.